it is. There it is. Is it Hoobercast? On Wednesday. Oh, it's Thursday. It is Thursday. Tomorrow is Friday. I ran out of. I ran out of. Ran out of voice. Dusted. 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 That's me. I'm here. Turn these off. Uh, is it still rolling? Can't tell. Can't tell. Yep. Sure is. All right. Cool. Well, that was interesting. Hi, Dustin. Hey, how are you? <laughs> so weird. Wait it is. a second. That was quite the intro. Hold on a second. Sorry about that. I had to lift the effects off of there. <laughs> ah, yes. Yes. Hi. Hey, how hey, are you? I'm super irritated. Uh, my, <laughs> my children... <laughs> Uh, I hate to start the podcast off on a bad note, but like I, I, when you have to yell at your kids, yeah, yeah. just the worst feeling in the world. So I'm, I'm, I'll spare you like all the details, but it's just one of those things where I feel simultaneously like not listened to, um, Mm. um, undervalued and also like self-hatred for how I handle the situation. And it's just like, you know, it's like, uh, I just yeah, feel, I'm yeah. just, I'm low, Dustin, feeling low. I was fine. And then I, like, that's why I was late. I was doing that. And I was like, ah. I gotcha. So. No, nah, man. I, yeah, it's all part of it. <laughs> it I is. I would imagine. It is, it is, it is. Um, he, he says with no children. Um. How was your uh, How was your Christmas? It's it's Boxing Day, by the way. Happy Boxing Day! Happy Boxing Day! <laughs> Yay! Yay, Adrian! Yay! Um, it was good. We uh, we we you know did the whole family thing. We've still got some family thing left to do, and mm. um, yeah, I mean it was it's good. It's always busy. It's always hectic. It's always you know um, uh, you know just time consuming, but right. uh, not not in a bad way. Just it is, yeah. and. Uh, yeah, man, it it was it was good. Cool, man. How was yours? It's fine, just fine. Yeah, fine, fine. Yeah, more <laughs> three stars. <laughs> it, it 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 was three stars. There was a plan that was put in place. My opinion was asked about this plan. Um, you know about where we, the place we were going to. Um, asked what we wanted to do, how we wanted things ordered, and so I was like, well, here's how it'd be ordered because that would make the most sense for us and our family and really for everybody. And then like. And then when we got there, I was like, oh, yeah, we're going to do like the opposite plan. And I was like, oh, like great. we're, we're going to actually do the presents before we eat. And it's like, oh, OK, well, why do you even like call me and ask me my opinion then? And it was just, well, we asked my the response is, well, we asked everybody's opinion, you know, and we just kind of do it. You know, I was just like everybody. I'm, I'm almost a half of this room, like my household. Right. Everybody's right. opinion. And then, like, right. <laughs> and like, you know, ugh, stupid. It, just, it, was just dumb. it wasn't just like that. It was just like, well, okay, well, my wife just took insulin because we, she thought we were about to eat. We were about to eat. Cause you know, that was like the fucking plan. So, right, um, right. you know, anyway, it's just, it's, it, it went, right. it was fine from there, but it was just one sure, of those like, sure. Oh, great. It's like, I just Christmas this year, man. And, 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 and man, I hate to, I did not mean to crap all over the the front the front face of this <laughs> of this podcast, but it's all good. But, it's real. But, it's but the, life. Yeah, man, this is life. But but like, what really like it was just sucked about it was that like I had to keep the kids quiet because Tara worked the night before, so I had to like keep them. I you know I had to go upstairs and keep them like kind of quiet, and they just didn't behave. And then I had and then my daughter's going through a particularly like rebellious phase right now, so like. 
there was just no giving room from her. And so it was just a whole lot of like, just having to go through the whole process of explaining why the action is wrong and then being met with resistance. And it just sucked. And then we turned that around and then we got to like my parents' house and then that happened. And I was like, great. Mm -hmm. And then like, by the time I got home, like I didn't even want to like think about it anymore. Cause it's just like, well, whatever. Like we had a good time and they sent me home with a bunch of food and that's good. But there was still the initial like, yeah, but I'm going to remember this next time we make plans because like, mm-hmm. it's just going to be another one of those things like, oh yeah, remember Christmas where you, you did the exact opposite and the entire yeah. time during Christmas where I said, we're not going to open the presents because the kids need to get to eat their dinner first. And they kept trying to help my kids open their gifts. Like yeah. Yeah. I give them explicit instructions. Don't open the gifts. And they kept trying to open yep. the gifts. And I was like, you know, this is why I wanted to eat first so we can right, open the right. gifts. But now because yep. of you, they have to wait. Mm-hmm. And now I have to be the bad guy. Thanks a lot for that. Right. Exactly. Um, hold on just a second, Dustin. Yeah, yeah. What is it, buddy? So, yeah, the, the evening's off to a, a spectacular start. <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs> Um, which is, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I can't come back from that. Uh, I, I, um, that's, 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 that's how it's, that's how the week has been, uh, has been going. Um, ever since I put them in that room together, they've just been mm-hmm. finding excuses to come to the door and a lot of them involve diapers and, you know, questionable, like wet messes that may or may not be pee. Mm-hmm. And so like, I just can't smell very well and there's no other evidence. It's like, okay, maybe he just poured water on the spot and that's mm-hmm. just, I'm getting, I'm getting sick of it. <laughs> I'm just yeah, getting yeah. sick of it. So I brewed up some, I didn't brew it. I, well, you know, I made coffee, mm-hmm. uh, somehow thinking that might call my nerves. Don't know why I thought that that's not mm-hmm. really what coffee does. Um, right, unless sure, you have like sure. an emotional attachment to it. Um, Right. Uh, and I don't. So uh, I don't know what I'm doing, but uh, I'm doing it's it. It's just comfort at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's what I know. And that's what I need. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So that's, um, yeah. But um, other than that, I mean, like I've had some cool reading time. Um, so that was good. I watched yeah, uh, The Long Kiss Goodnight. Um, because mm-hmm. you know, for Christmas, it's like people are watching like Hallmark movies and, um, you know, movies on like streaming services, you know, for, based around the holidays. And I was like, all right, well, mm-hmm. I could do that. Um, but I, for some reason, was like, you know, Christmas, I do think of Shane Black, mm-hmm. like, uh, kind of out of the gate sometimes, just because of his artistic association with Christmas. So I, I sure. was like, oh, okay. Well, I wonder if there's anything with have his on streaming. And the yeah. only Shane Black movie on Netflix, at least from the search, mm-hmm. and I just searched Shane. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, but as, um, is the long kiss good night? Um, okay. And, uh, oh, I didn't even prepare a, a thing for it. Um, uh, not last long kiss. Um, it's directed by, um, what's his name? Um, uh, Rennie Harlan, who also mm-hmm. directed like Deep Blue Sea, and um, oh wow, yeah. What else did Rennie Harlan direct? Rennie Harlan directed Die Hard Two, Cliffhanger, um, mm-hmm. Cutthroat Island, yeah. Uh, but yeah, one one of the films he's known for is is the um, is the Long Kiss Goodnight, um, and it's about. Well, I'm gonna play the. I'll play a little bit from the trailer for you. How about that? Do it. How's about that? Maybe. Let me give you some advice. Oh, not you, Neil Gaiman. Get out of here. What are you doing? What are you doing? Okay. 
Oh my god, forget it. Oh my god, forget it. What if you couldn't remember your real name, your first kiss, or your last goodbye? Honey, you have an ETA on that cure? Stow it. And then suddenly... <laughs> I used to do this! I'm a chef! No! Without warning... Give me something else! Celery! Mm, ah! All your memories... Name's Charlie. I'm coming back. ...came flooding back to you. Even Charlie? Long time. One bullet at a time. I got movement on Samantha Kane. Good. I may have a lead on someone. May still have some of her stuff. <gasps> this man, he's gonna help me find some things out. So we'll be safe. Your full name is Charlene Elizabeth Baltimore. This could be trouble. <gasps> My name is Samantha Kane. No, 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 forget all that. I'm in the PTA. Then quit. You're an assassin working for the United States government. We have 24 hours. We find her. We kill her. Yeah, the long kiss goodnight. Um, so it definitely, this is for instance, 93, I think, that this movie mm-hmm. came out. Um, have you seen this film, Dustin? I haven't. So the long kiss goodnight gets gets sort of talked about in terms of like, hey, like what's a seminal Shane Black film? And, you know, um, uh, especially since in these days he wasn't directing. He was just, he was just kind of the hottest screenwriter, you know, out there. Mm-hmm. Um and so this story, this movie stars Gina Davis. We got Samuel L. Jackson, and then a bunch of people that you really only see kind of around the '90s, like Craig Bierko and like, jeez, um, mm-hmm. um, what's the? I forgot the name of some of these other um, actors. To be honest, they're all on the the other page. But um, typically, people you don't see much in movies anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And there's some very typical '90s sort of gaffes with this movie, like with, in terms of like either the way they shoot action, like super slow motion, like cuts from multi angles of the practical effect or whatever, and just mm-hmm. kind of the best they could do at the time. Like, you know, wide angles of a stunt sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, but it's an interesting movie. 96, sorry, not 93. Um, so this is after, this is after the, um, the bulk of the lethal weapon movies. Um, so what I like about this movie is the dynamic between Gina Davis and Samuel L. Jackson. Um, you know, she's, she essentially plays a woman who woke up eight years ago on a beach, um, like eight months pregnant and she has no memory before all of that. Um, and so she just sort of has built up a life and an identity around just stuff that she kind of remembers about her personality, but it's not like the typical, like, but it's done like, like Shane Black would have written it where it's not like, it, it's pretty self-aware that like this concept can get tired. And you don't want to spend like a bunch of scenes of like, who am I? And just staring in a mirror and stuff like that. So she's like, yeah, you know, I got, I'm in a steady relationship and my daughter, I love my daughter. And, um, you know, I'm good at this. I'm good at that. And, uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing all right. And it's, you know, cracks a couple of jokes about her amnesia in her opening voiceover. So it's like, okay, fine. So you already like this character going into it. And at a certain mm-hmm. point, like it gets revealed that she's like this, you know, underworld assassin named like Charlie Baltimore. Um, uh, and she, you know, I think that at the time that she got amnesia and sort of was presumed dead, that she was being hunted by this organization. So now they're back for her. So she has to go kind of figure out her, her identity and everything. And she's tagged along by her private, one of the private investigators she hired to, um, to sort of 
figure out more stuff about her over the years. Um, and he's the lowest, he's the least expensive of them all. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson is the one she ends up going on the run with, um, and following these leads with. So of course he's great. Um, it's, um, it's kind of weird that like, so in retroactively Captain Marvel kind of reminds me a little bit of this film because oh. it's the same year this came out, the long kiss Goodnight of 96 and which is when, or 95, I think is when Captain Marvel takes place. But, but you've got a similar dynamic. You got a couple people sort of on like a road movie in a way, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, it's just, it, it, I don't know. It just reminded me of that, that dynamic between Brie Larson and Samuel L. Jackson. That's actually pretty strong. It, the same kind of things going on here between him and Gina Davis and Gina Davis. I don't know if, you know, this is just cause I'm 30 and I'm, you know, so maybe this doesn't mean as much coming for me, but Gina Davis is underrated, um, mm. as an actress. She's very capable physically. Um, I mean, I, just a, a note on her, her physical appearance, at least in this movie, like Gina Davis is pretty fit like mm-hmm. strength wise. And I don't know if that's just something she does personally. Like, it's just like, yeah, I just always, I just try to stay fit or if she did it for this role or whatever. Um, but Gina Davis kind of always struck me as like someone who could kick my ass, um, <laughs> you know, and you wouldn't think about She's watching like six foot tall. Is she? Yeah, man. Well, Gina Davis, you wouldn't think it to watch like Stuart little. You're like, which of, yeah, which yeah. of Stuart's parents could beat the shit out of me. It's like, oh, I guess it's probably the dad. It's like, no, not Hugh Laurie. Hugh Laurie, right, right, right. Hugh Laurie being the shit out of nobody. Uh, nope. it, it'd be Gina Davis. Mm-hmm. Um, he'd probably Jonathan Lipnicki could whip my ass too. Um, <laughs> and Stuart, just everybody in that film. <laughs> Current Jonathan um, Lipnicki or then Jonathan Lipnicki? Uh, just then. Oh, okay. Yeah, it. yeah. Before the drugs. <laughs> right, right. Uh, <laughs> have you seen him lately? No. Does he look? Dude's fit. Let me see, John. Oh, really? Yeah, man. I thought you were going to say like he's he's in rough shit. Like he looks like Edward Furlong. No. Let's see. Jonathan Lipnicki. <laughs> 2019. What does this kid look like now? Where are you? Lippy. Lippy. Lipnicki. Ooh. Does he have a star? Da- he has a star David tattoo on his uh, on his left oblique. Oh, wow. Okay. Ooh. Wow. Well. Okay. So he might be able to beat the crap out of you as well. Yeah, we don't you, know. You know, you know, all those people who went up to him and said, did you know the human head weighed eight pounds? And he's like, shut up. And he just, <laughs> just he punches right. right through their chest and murders them. Right. Yeah. You know what else weighs eight pounds? The soul. <gasps> I um, extract it from you. I take it. I take it I from take you. I take your soul. You become my ninth, my ninth abdomen muscle (laughs) i'll put you right in the middle there (laughs) either that or you become another little like speck in his 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 actual his star david tattoo he's never been to a tattoo parlor those are souls that he's collected yeah he's made he's made enough to make like what should i make oh i guess i'm jewish i'm gonna make a yeah i'm gonna make a tattoo of these souls here like Um, so the longest good night. <laughs> um, so I'd heard about this on like a cult movie podcast recently. And then I happened to be Christmas. I happened to be thinking of Shane Black. I happened to search it and it happened to come up. So in that sense, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting much. There's parts toward the end where I kind of got kind of sleepy, but again, I, I'm, I'm a very tired person. So that's more just, that more just keeps it from being like a five, like, Whoa, this is gripping. But for a movie in 1996 that has some dated sensibilities to it, it's a pretty enjoyable movie. I mean, it's an interesting little premise. I like, 
um, the characters. I think, you know, you sort of don't, I don't really care about the plot. I don't really care about why they want to kill. I mean, I would have preferred less information in this movie probably than, than they mm. gave. Um, but, uh, solid, solid film. I mean, if you like Shane Black's writing, it's, it's, it's worth checking out. I mean, it's, it is on Netflix. It is free. Um, uh, I, uh, yeah. If you're a fan of Samuel L. Jackson, um, which is everybody, you know, I mean, I guess, right, right. I guess if you're a fan of Rennie Harlan, you've already watched his movies, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, but, and it's just, it's just a cool name for a movie too. Long kiss. Good night. It's like, Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's just a, like you, you see that on the cover of screen. You're like, Oh shit. What's this? It sounds like a, like an old film noir. Yeah, it, it does. It's, it has a very like, um, old Hollywood kind of, um, yeah. Um, wonder to it. Which is great. It is great. Um, so, uh, so, so yeah, I guess I'd give it, um, I'd give it like a three and a half, you know, and, and, and that's, and that's being harsh too. It's just like, there's just, you know, the premise is cool and you know, it's a solid, it's a, and it's a good script. Um, mm. and, and Gina Davis is great in it. Um, it's yeah. just the, the, you know, the, some of the sensibilities are like, you know, how they chose to play, like how they cho- choose to play like ice bloody killer or, you know, you're like uh, how they play the Charlie Baltimore side of her personality is a little bit like, Oh, okay. This is a bit two dimensional now. Um, mm-hmm. but in 96, it's like, Oh, you know, that's, that's probably a hot concept. So, you know, it's kind yeah. of, it's hard to grade these, um, retroactively, but if you haven't seen the movie and I'm recommending it to you, you're watching it from the same perspective that I am. Um, so, um, but I definitely, I definitely think it's, it's something you could check out on Netflix. That's of actual value. Um, mm. just those are it, few and far between as long as it's not the shit. I was trying to explain to my wife today. I was like, I got, I can't, I got to get Disney plus on, on her Kindle because like, so that we can, so they can watch something on Disney plus in the morning quietly. She's like, well, they can just, they can watch Netflix or Amazon. And I had to go through it again. Like their children's programming, is no good. Like there's right, a few right. things that are good, but you have to understand, like I was explaining this, this hoopla audiobook app to my brother last night. And I said, it's, mm-hmm. I said, it's a lot like Netflix and, and it's, it's a lot like Amazon prime. There's a lot you can pick from, but none of it's like no, only a few things are like pretty recent. Sure. And you can't, you, and all the categories they give you suck. So you basically have yep. to go into go into there looking for something already. You can't just walk, you can't yeah. browse Amazon prime. You can't browse hoopla and to a less, uh, to a lesser extent, you can't really browse Netflix for kids stuff because everything that's on the front screen, everything that you can, that you can like scroll to or, or, or turn to, it's just crap. Like yeah, it's yeah. colorful. Um, you know, and it's got the red end on it. So you think that means quality cause they got some other good shows, but like, it's not that it's not that good. And yeah, my God, like, I, I think that one of the things that were done right in my, in my entertainment childhood were the, were the, some of the shows I watched. I just feel like I'm sure at the time people thought they were garbage, but I mean like shows like SpongeBob and Hey Arnold and even Rugrats like didn't, didn't just spoon feed you colorful information. They were just like, Hey, here's a story. Try to follow it. You know? Right. And it's like, Oh yeah. I yeah, no, I, and that raises a, a, a whole bigger thing, but I think you're onto something like, like when, as, as old man, as it sounds, we're like, when we were young, yeah. uh, cartoons 
really were um i mean you, you had you had your dumber shows for sure um that were just about like spoon feeding sugar to people but yeah. uh but there seemed to be a greater quantity of artists making artistic shows yeah. that were that were valuable in terms of storytelling and uh just artistic merit and then and then if kids caught on to it great perfect um and there would be something for the the adults who are watching with the kids to enjoy as well. And uh, you know, maybe there's always been the the dumb shows that that are just sugar, but but it felt like there were there there was a greater at least in the '90s when we were growing up, there was a, a greater quantity of actual shows with depth. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, it, it, it's almost like shows like gargoyles right which are really deep in lore and have a lot of depth to the characters and that sort of thing and yeah kids will kids will latch on to that in time and and adults may find even more about it but but what they didn't do was underestimate what a kid was capable of and i feel like there's a lot of that going going around right now where it's like oh well kids won't understand if we get too deep and it's like, no, I think they will. And I think that that will also keep them interested for a longer period of time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that, that's another conversation. I've had that conversation recently. Um, and, and I'm not even very well versed in what cartoons are now. Right. For a couple of reasons. I don't have kids and I don't have cable. So, you know, it, it's all just whatever's on Netflix or whatever. And, you know, to me, there's so much more, uh, reason to to show what we grew up on rather than what's current. Yeah. And the hard part about that is like to get kids into that sort of programming, because if you're like me, daycare has sort of put, you start off on the wrong foot because like they'll like the, you know, at least some daycares and then like some of these, yeah, like pre-K programs, they'll have them like, there's a fair amount of their day where they're just like showing them movies and Netflix. So they'll mm-hmm. just like play whatever's popular. And then there's like, you know, it always starts off with either some one of the caregivers, one of the one of the staff, like just putting on the first thing. And then or it's like some kid whose horrible parent was like just did did the same thing at home, like just put on the first thing they saw. And they let their kid yeah. watch some crappy program. So then that kid pipes up first and goes, Let's watch the blah blah bullshit show. And they're like, yeah. Okay. And they turn on. And so now my daughter comes home and wants to watch the blah blah bullshit show. Yeah. So then I have to turn on the blah, blah, bullshit. So, and then I turn on, I'm like, wow, this sucks. I should have yeah. listened better to the name. It was so obvious. <laughs> right. And then, and then, and so then I'm like, Hey, you know what? Let's watch the rescuers down under. And they're like, no, who wants to watch that? I'm like, but it's, uh, but this is good. Yes. Your show sucks. My show's great. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, man. Um, Anyway, so the long kiss good night. <laughs> yes. Three and a half stars. Um, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, that's I'm gonna I'm gonna stop. <laughs> okay. Um, geez. All right, Dustin. I want to hear about what was it? God, you had two. I did. I so forgot I have, them. I have uh, Klaus and yes. I have Twenty One Bridges. Oh, that's right. Okay. Well, we're talking about Christmas. Let's do let's do Klaus. Okay, and we're also talking about Netflix. So this yeah, kind of we fits. are exactly. Um, let me, oh God, I didn't yeah. find the stupid, is it C or K, Klaus? It's K, K. L-A-U-S, yeah. Okay, got it. I want to pull up this trailer here. Klaus, this is the one on Netflix. This is 2019. This is brand new. It is. All right, let's pull up this old heel trailer. Do what? Um, hello. Um, hello. 
Jesper Johansson, postman. Oh, uh, Mr. Klaus, you have a gift. You were meant for making toys. So I figured if you donate your old toys, I'll deliver them for free. Tonight, I go with you. There's no need for you to come with me, really. Tonight, then. What about me? Ow! What the loser? Oh yeah, well if I'm a loser, then you're you're a you're a uh, you're too you're too far. You're gone. Hey, what do you guys think you're doing? This is Smearinsburg. Yeah. So Klaus, um, like we said, Klaus is on Netflix. It came out this year. Uh, you've probably seen it advertised. It had a pretty big marketing campaign. Yeah, uh, I saw some stuff I guess. on Facebook. I think. Yeah, it was it was like right around Thanksgiving or so where where this was really kind of pushed. So Klaus um, is the story of a mailman named Jesper. Now Jesper is an underachiever and has had everything handed to him by his father, who's like I guess the postmaster general, and uh, and he's just kind of like flunking out of the uh, the boot camp, so to speak, of mailmen. And so his father gives him sort of an impossible quest, which is he's going to send him to this frozen wasteland in front of or above the Arctic Circle, where it's just a group of people who really don't care for each other. It's sort of like uh, Hatfields and McCoys in this place. Uh, whatever locals there are, they're divided into two camps, and these camps hate each other and do not speak to one another. So there's obviously not a lot of uh, mail going around. So he sends his son to his son Jesper to this this place and says you've got 1 year to turn this into a profitable and you know streamlined uh, post office. And if you can't do it then basically say goodbye to me like everything that comes with being the son of the postmaster general i'm not going to give you money i'm not going to give you housing like you're going to have to make it on your own but if you can do it then you know great uh you know you'll you'll have learned you know the value of hard work and whatever and so he sends jesper to this place and um he quickly meets a few characters um alva who is a local school teacher who came to this place with high hopes of uh, teaching children and making a living doing that, like, you know, just touching the lives of young kids. But instead, she too has been beaten down by this terribly filled with conflict city, and she has lost all hope. And he also meets a mysterious uh, carpenter that lives in the woods and builds toys. And this this carpenter's name is Klaus. Um by the way, Klaus is voiced by J.K. Simmons and Alva by Rashida Jones, and our main character Jesper is voiced by Jason Schwartzman. So um, oh, these characters—I I thought that was Ryan Reynolds, and they pitched him up a little bit. That's did funny. You? No, it yeah. does, I could I could hear that for yeah. sure. Um, but but that, it is, that's what it, Jason Schwartzman's voice is. Yes, correct. Yeah, a, a, a high pitched. Yeah, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I can buy that. Weird. Um, 
And uh, so, so anyway, that that's basically the story. Um, it's it's going to be Jesper trying to make a difference in this city and kind of learn uh, the value of hard work, learn the value of caring for others. And it's going to be Klaus who helps him do that. Um, so as you can probably guess, I and mean, I won't spoil all the twists and turns that the story takes, but as you can probably guess, this is sort of an origin story for Santa Claus. Um, and it's it's a very different origin story. It's not the one we're used to. It's not, you know, jolly old St. Nick and it's not, um, you know, the Coca-Cola version or whatever. This is it's not Tim Allen. It's not whatever. But what this is, is a a a humble carpenter who makes his own toys and wants to make a, a difference in the lives of the kids around. And so with the help of uh, Jesper and Alva, uh, they're going to do that. And so, uh, it takes a long time for our, our main character to actually become likable. Um, it's a really interesting thing that the writers have done here. They, they've kind of crafted a character who's wholly unlikable and they're going to, over the course of the film, make him likable. And, uh, that's a very hard thing to do. Uh, once you make a character unlikable, it's really hard to come back from that. And and I think they do a really good job here. Um, I, I, I won't say that this is going to become an instant classic or or this is going to be, you know, something that that I'm going to watch every year. But I would I would certainly go back to it. The animation's beautiful. Um, it I, I, I don't. I don't quite know how to explain it. It's almost like illustratory, and uh, it's just got a lot of really great lighting and a lot of really great atmosphere. Um, it's got this painterly quality to it that that's just so um, so beautiful to look at. So for that reason alone, I mean, it, it's a well-made movie. Um, this isn't like we were just what we were just talking about, which is just sugar thrown at kids that's colorful and whatnot. Right. I mean, it. it when I think about this in my mind, it's not the color that stands out. It's the use of lighting. Yeah. Right. So, so this is, um, you know, an artistic thing that, that, that they've made here. Um, and of course, you know, they've got celebrity talent for the voices, which has sort of become, um, par for the course for these cheap movies that are terrible. Um, but it works here. Um, you know, Jason Schwartzman, I, I would almost hesitate to even call him a celebrity, but, um, yeah, but no like kidding. J.K. Simmons, Rashida Jones, certainly. Uh, Norm MacDonald is in this movie, Joan Cusack. There, there, there's a good cast here. Um, and, and you kind of don't think about it much and they certainly don't market it that way. Um, so it's, um, it, it's well cast. The animation's great. Um, the story is, I think, really touching and uh, and smart. Uh, I, I will say that, you know, it's a Christmas movie, so there's some level of predictability to it, right? Like you can kind of guess where some of these story threads are going. And, and um, you know, maybe if it wasn't called Klaus and it was called something else and it wasn't released at Christmas time, maybe I wouldn't immediately just be looking for Santa Claus in this. Um, but uh, but the fact is I, I am immediately looking for Santa Claus. So it feels like some of the – I don't know, the the wonder of what Klaus is doing is kind of lost because I'm just already going into it with the baggage that this is Santa Claus. Yeah. Um, or at least a version of Santa Claus. 
But having said that, I do think I do think I'd want to revisit this film. Um, like I said, it, it's a well-made movie, and it's certainly not a cash grab. This seems like it has artistic merit, right? And uh, and you know, it's certainly miles better than anything that like the Dr. Seuss uh, Grinch movie that came out uh, last year. Was that last year? 2018, I think. Um, Maybe. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly better than that or even Christmas Chronicles or whatever, um, you know, that, that has come up recently. I think this stands above all of that. It's a smarter take on this and, and it's not like overt Christmas. This kind of deconstructs Christmas in a way like, oh, you're not going to get lights and jingle bells and all this stuff. It's it's almost like a folklore Christmas. It's we're in the woods and the bells that you hear are because they're on horses, right? Or, or reindeer. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, it all kind of is organic rather than just like something that the filmmakers throw on there to make you feel warm, right? Like it all has a reason. And, uh, and if it doesn't have a reason, then it doesn't exist. Um, so anyway, I, I thought it was a really cool little uh, movie. And and if you're looking for something to do still that's kind of Christmassy, I do recommend it. Um, again, I time will tell if this becomes a, a go-to or a tradition for anybody, but I, I'll definitely watch it again. So I think what I'll do is I'll give it uh, I'll give it four stars. You know, it's not, it's not phenomenal. Um, but it's completely inoffensive. There's nothing here that makes me wince or grimace or whatever. So, uh, yeah, four stars. That's good. And it's just nice to see something aimed at, aimed at a younger audience that actually has artistic merit to it. Like Mm -hmm. it can be enjoyed and appreciated by adults and it can be picked up on subliminally, subliminally by kids, um, you know, and, and be eye catching enough to not be just garbage. You know, because that's the thing. It's not that hard to get a kid's attention. So if you just make noises and throw colors at them, they're going to look at it. But the trick is teaching them that there are more beautiful and better things for them to look at than just just something bright and colorful. You know, right. It's got to have a purpose. This this film is interesting because if, if we're talking about kids movies that are Christmas movies, a lot of times like you don't get a. Like you don't get any sadness, really. Right. It's just kind of like, Ooh. Uh, yeah. And and this movie is like is like for real sad, right? Like there are some actual moments here, so it doesn't it doesn't sugarcoat anything. Good. And and I think that that's great, right? Like I, like I think that anything. I think one of the biggest problems that movies have is in, in general. Um, and movies have gotten better at this, um, in the past 20 years, but one of the things that movies really did, um, and especially if you had an impressionable mind like me, like movies do shape people's perspective of like the world and its problems. Mm -hmm. So when you teach kids and young adults and adults that like, there's two, only two ways to look at an issue, then it's pretty easy to make someone the hero and someone the villain or or in this case like have like maybe one sad character but it's like oh but let's make their christmas the best and then through magic they can do it but kids yeah. can't apply that to their life it's just like oh okay well my parents are divorced like how are you going to fix that magic 
It's like, right. and I had to be right. cynical about it. But like kids think about that when, and, and I think about that when I'm watching movies, like when you, when that, as soon as they show you a character that you believe in, you're like, oh man, he's got all these problems. How's he going to overcome it? And if it sucks, if, if the way they like, they, they succeed or turn a frown upside down is just dumb and plot convenient. Then I just go, oh, okay. So you didn't actually teach me or inspire me to solve my own problems. You just gave me a little bit of sadness and then you fixed it with a magic wand and that's it. And, and yeah. Christmas movies in particular do this a lot where they just, everything is just so damn simple and yeah. no one has to worry. Like I, my biggest problem in movies, what does this person do for a living? Yeah. What does this person do for a living? How are they making money? Why aren't they at work for like 50 hours a week? Like, like regular people, like mm-hmm. what, what's wrong with why this character doesn't feel real to me. So like yeah. there's varying shades of that. And even for kids, when you get down to that level, it's like, yeah, kids don't need to worry about the characters like main job or whatever, but there's still an element of realism that is absent from a lot of kids movies for the sake of being simple and colorful. And because a lot of these people don't know how to teach depth and nuance to children, but the people who do that and put in the work, whether, it's visually or like story-wise that pays off and it makes for a better film well i'll tell you what it reminds me of is is the movie up right Mm -hmm. up is a great movie and kids love up but the first eight minutes of up is like gut-wrenching yep right and 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 they don't they obviously don't like say well they're dead you know or whatever but they couldn't conceive children Right. But, but what they do is they make it very clear what's happening. Yeah. Uh, so clear that kids know. Yeah. And, and, and this is what this reminds me of. So part of that is because Klaus is a quiet character. Um, but what he goes through and what, what has happened to him and what's happening to our main character and, and all of this, uh, I, I think that not only is it relatable, but it, it, it makes for a deeper story, right? Like I already mentioned the, uh, the school teacher, right. Who's, who's kind of beaten down by where she lives and she's lost all hope that it's not, it's not like unheard of for a Christmas movie to bring hope to a character who's hopeless, but it is unheard of for a, a character who's hopeless to be sort of unappealing, violent, uh, angry and then slowly have those traits, you know, nicked away. And it's not like all of a sudden, Oh, she sees some magic and, and life is better. You know, like all it took was this one miracle. Right. Exactly. Like, Oh, I saw a fire in a chimney. Yeah. Wow. That reminds me of my grandpa. Right. And that, and that's so easy for that to happen in a Christmas movie. But here it's like a slow process. And, and that to me is, is kind of beautiful. And so, um, you know, I, I, again, there, there are more examples. I won't get into them, but they, um, they certainly exist to make the story deep, the characters deeper and, and, and kind of paint with a, a large paintbrush all the values in between white and black. And, and that is, is what makes this movie interesting to me. Um, it's a, it's a stripped down folklore Christmas that deconstructs the visuals and sounds even of Christmas while giving depth to characters that in other hands may be as one dimensional as, you know, freaking, 
Sinbad in Jingle All the Way. And, um, and, and <laughs> that's you know, a fully that's, fleshed out character. What are you talking about? <laughs> sure it is. Um, well, okay. Jake Lloyd and Jingle All the Way. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so, so I think that that's, um, I, I think this movie kind of is unique for all of those reasons. And, you know, I, I do I do try to watch Christmas movies during the Christmas season. I, I do always like every year forget how few Christmas movies there are that I genuinely enjoy. Um, but I think this is this is one that I enjoyed. So I, I, I do recommend it. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, man, I have thought I forgot. Oh, well, that's OK. Um you know, actually, speaking of Christmas movies, I don't. I, I. I mean, I know all of Shane Black's movies take place around Christmas, but The Long Kiss Goodnight might have might have been like the least Christmas adjacent. I'm sure, like there was a tree up mm. somewhere, like you know, like some hitman sure. comes to her house and tries to kill her, and she just instinctively knows how to fight him. Um, mm. And uh, I'm thinking, I, I'm. I think I saw someone crash into a Christmas tree, but like that's it, you know. Whereas mm. like other films like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and Iron Man Three and Lethal Weapon are like Christmas isn't like every shot. It's like yeah, you're very very much reminded constantly what <laughs> what month it is. Right, right. But they don't put you in the Christmas mood like uh, like like something like Klaus would or something more sure. overtly like Christmas related from the plot. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's nice to watch those kind of films during the holidays because it's it just it's it, you're in the right atmosphere and and they know that and that sort of helps along like the mood of the movie a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. You can't really watch you could, but it's not the same watching especially the Hallmark movies. You can't watch those in like July. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, know, you can't do that. Um, okay, so speaking of movies. Uh huh. <laughs> yep, that's about all. <laughs> um, here's the trailer for Twenty One Bridges. Oh, fuck, I give up. <laughs> Your father died protecting this city. He taught you to follow your conscience in an often cruel world. What happened? First day of 18 years. How many cops? Eight. Why were they here? They responded to a robbery. Shot fired! Shot fired! Officer down! Automatic weapons. Two shooters. They have training. How old were you when your father's captain came? I asked for you for a reason. I will find out. We just killed cops. You need to run. You gotta move fast. Cars not ours, plates are stolen. We will catch these guys in the next three or four hours. They vanish. How are you gonna do this? Close the island. Got 21 bridges in and out of Manhattan. Shut them down. Three rivers, close them. Four tunnels, block them. Stop every train and loop the subways. Then we flood the island with blow. Twenty-one bridges. Speaking um, of J.K. Simmons, 
Yeah, yeah, he's he's the through line here. Um, so 21 Bridges is actually that trailer does a really good job of kind of setting up the story. Um, but I'll, I'll go ahead and give you the the lowdown. It's directed by Brian Kirk. Uh, this is his first feature film. He's uh, well known from directing uh, television, and it's written by a few different people. Uh, Adam Mervis, my, uh, let's see, Matthew Michael Carnahan. I have this written down, and uh, Adam. Mervis wrote the story. The screenplay was by Adam Mervis and Michael, whatever, Matthew, whatever, Carnan. Anyway, terrible job so far. Um, and um, so 21 so bridges to get through all those names. I know. Good Lord. There's like 12 <laughs> names and two credits. Um, and then uh, it's produced notably among others, but notably by uh, Chadwick Boseman and the Russo brothers. Yes. Um, so, so John and I actually saw this, um, a few days ago, we were looking for something to see and it was like everything we were naming, Hey, do you want to see this? One of us had already seen it or had plans to. So, uh, we ended up at 21 bridges. Um, 21 bridges was not something I was looking forward to, but, uh, but here's, you know, but, but we saw it and uh, you know what? I'm glad we did. So here, here's the, here's the lowdown. Um, Chadwick Boseman plays a police officer who uh, we learned in the very first scene, his father, also a police officer died in the line of duty when he was a child. And so Chadwick Boseman's sort of grown up with a chip on his shoulder. He is going to get the job done. He bleeds blue. Um, and, uh, you know, he's being, at the very beginning, he's being uh, investigated by internal affairs. Uh, they they don't really know that he's done anything wrong, but they're just curious why he has such a high body count of you know the perps he's gone after. Uh, the reason is because uh, Andre Davis uh, gets stuff done. Like he he chases his perp and he gets the job done. And a lot of times that involves shooting and killing uh, the person. And so uh, he's not necessarily a bad guy, but he is completely uh, convinced that everything he does is just everything that he does is, you know, serves the badge essentially. Right. Um, he works fast. So, he's not overly cautious. It seems like Right, right. It, it sounds like he's not quite like a Martin Riggs type who's like a suicidal maniac with a gun and a badge. Um, no, he's not. Th- thank he's you, not 80s. the bad cop. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's so, just like, he's just hell-bent on justice and he's exactly not very Whatever uh, that means, diplomatic right? about it. Yeah. Exactly. And so, and so he's certainly, you know, willing to work within the lines that are set, but he, he hasn't done necessarily anything over the line. It's right. just that he his cases end in death. Man, IA must not have a lot to do. You'd think they'd investigate like actual, like, oh, they're investigating some, some people who are pretty sure are dirty cops. So it's like, right. Oh, right what's on right. the docket today? Well, we got a low priority case about, uh, this Andre uh, Davis guy. Oh, what did he do wrong? Nah, he just has a lot of dead perps, but, uh, otherwise clean record. Yeah. We're just looking uh, into it well, kind of a thing. Yeah. I guess we gotta start looking into that. What else yeah. are we going to do today? <laughs> right. So simultaneously to that, um, we're following a couple of criminals uh, played by Stephen James and Taylor Kitsch. Mm. Um, so these two these two criminals have been uh, they've taken a job from you know a low level wannabe mobster, and he's informed them that this restaurant has a a 
at least moderate amount of cocaine that they're looking to move. And so these two criminals break into the restaurant to steal the cocaine. They end up finding a lot more cocaine than they bargained for, and the police show up. And uh, a shootout ensues, and in their escape, they leave behind eight dead officers. And so uh, they uh, call Chadwick Boseman to get the job done. Um, And so he uh, obviously kind of takes this personally because of what happened to his father. And so he – has just a few hours before these perps are going to get away. So he proposes an outlandish thing, which is close Manhattan, completely close it so that they cannot leave. And, and they've got until, you know, about 5 AM or so is when traffic's really going to start to pick up. So at 5 AM, they need to have these guys caught and in handcuffs so that they can reopen the Island. And so, so right off the bat, I kind of like these type of movies. It's like you've got a limited timetable yeah. to do a thing. Ticking clock. Yeah, ticking clock. Do the thing. The thing is well established and I'm on board. Do the thing. Let's get it done. Let's go. Let's get out of here. Um, I, I wish I wish the movie were as good as the premise. Um, it, it's not a bad movie. And let me just go ahead and give you the, the star rating, right? So if three stars is it's fine. This is barely fine. Um, so I'm mm. not going to give it two stars, but, you know, I guess it's three, but just barely. Um, it, it it plays out like a like a noir or um, really like any sort of modern police procedural. However, it has some twists and turns that I think it thinks is really smart. But I'll, I'll say this. When John and I saw the movie, we both called the twist ending at literally, uh, I don't know, probably like, I don't know, 15 minutes into the movie. Like we knew how it was going to end. So I don't think the movie's nearly as smart as it thinks it is. My friend Ian can do that. Like he, we used to go to movies together in the summer and he'd mm-hmm. lean over about 10 minutes in and go, that's the bad guy. Yeah. And I'd be like, what? And then of course at the end of the movie, you just like you, you yep, the equivalent of, of taking your napkin out of your lap and just throwing it on the table. Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> ah, ah, good day. Um, well, but you know, John and I don't really do that. Like, no, like, you when don't. We go see None a, of us when we do see that a movie. We like to just kind of be I, in I the pref- movie. I prefer to let the film come to me. <laughs> exactly. And maybe some ideas will come to my head about like what's going to yeah. happen, but I'm not going to voice that. But, but, so but that, that says a lot though. Like for me, like us all being friends, that, that tells me everything I need to know. Like something would have to be super telegraphed for one of you to go, Hey, uh, I'm pretty sure this is what's going to happen in the third act. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, and so it's super, super obvious what's happening, what's going on. Um, and, and there seem to be some really kind of weird dangling plot threads or, uh, maybe not plot threads, but at least some weird characters that pop up here that you think are going to feature more that don't. Mm. And it's like, they're completely forgotten. So one thing, one thing that a screenplay should never do is introduce a character as if they're going to play a part and then not have them do anything. Um, so, and, and this film, there, there are at least two examples of that here. Um, so I'll give you one in the very beginning, we see Chadwick Boseman's character, uh, go home and, uh, his mother is there and her nurse is leaving and his mother's, you know, aging. And so she has, she's displaying some dementia, some Alzheimer's Mm. and he goes and talks to his mother 
she doesn't really know what like where she is or who she is or who he is. Um, and, and you, you're the way that this is telegraphed to the audience, you would think she's going to come back into play somehow. <laughs> like, I don't know in, in, in a cheap way, like, I don't know, maybe she's going to have some information that she's going to like say something and he's going to get an idea or, or I don't know. I mean, that's dumb, but you know what I mean? Like at least that incorporates her into the story. Yeah, they never do anything. She's in the one scene and that's it. So the only thing then is that she must exist specifically to tell us that Chadwick Boseman is not a bad guy, right? It, it's she specifically exists to make us sympathetic to him as a character. Right. But why do that through another character who doesn't come back into play at all? Like, it's not even like later in the story, somebody mentions that his mother has dementia, you know, like maybe it comes into play in dialogue again. Nope, nothing, no mention of this ever again, but you're, you're introducing an immediate family member of your main character in a way that makes us think she's going to be important because her scene is memorable and then she never shows up one more time, not once, not even at the end, like nothing. And um, and so I kept waiting like this is what I thought like at that first scene was that we were going to see her at the beginning. We we're going to see her at the end. And like he was going to go through this whole big thing and come home and then she was going to say something lucid and like, good job, son. I'm proud of you or something. Right. Nothing like literally nothing. And and I know that I, I'm like harping on this a lot, but but it's because when you introduce a character in a way so as to make them a character like this isn't just somebody delivering coffee to a character like an intern in the background at a at a news station. Right. Like I know they're not going to feature in the story, but this character should. Um, and doesn't. Um, and there's another character that way. Um, and and that character is played by a, a fairly famous person. And so uh, it, it's all very strange the way that the the screenplay kind of forgets things or or at the very, you know, if I if I'm giving them grace and thinking like maybe they they didn't forget it it's that they weren't going to do it and i was expecting too much okay well if they're not going to do it then they certainly don't know how to telegraph that they're not going to do it and and that to me is a huge sign of either a, a, a screenwriter that doesn't know what they're doing or a screenwriter that doesn't know what they're doing <laughs> and um so anyway all that to say i mean there's some some things here that i like there's some things here that are really well done. I think the performances are all pretty solid, except Chadwick Boseman. Didn't care for him. I didn't think he had any charisma in this role. And aside from the one scene with his mother, there's nothing that we see of this guy that makes me relate to him as a person. Mm. And and that's a problem because, you know, if you're thinking about like cop movies, you know, you can if you th think about like action movies or cop movies or whatever. And I'm just going to use Die Hard as an example because I've seen it recently. Uh, John McClane is interesting to us for a few reasons. He's relatable to us for a few reasons. And and maybe chief among them is that he's uh, able to be hurt. He has flaws. But in this movie, like Chadwick Boseman is invincible and has like 
like he does nothing wrong. There are characters mm. like the IA who says like, I don't know, are you doing everything right? But he is. So it comes, he, it basically comes down to they, they're not even like a plot element. They just sort of serve to show how he's under pressure. That's at his exactly job. right. But he's not under pressure for any justified reason. Right. So, so the IA is another great example. They have a whole s- scene at the beginning, how he's under investigation never comes back. When, into when you, when you talked about them as like a big plot element, I was like, Oh, I guess we'll learn at some point during the film that like, he actually like killed a couple of those people in cold blood and that would add layers. And maybe he caused this whole situation, but or, it, <laughs> or something during the course of this yes. thing pushes him to a limit. And that that's the voice in the back of his head is like, yep. I, a, I is what looking do they at think? me. Yeah. They're watching me, whatever. No. Or he crosses the line. And now at the end of the movie, he's going to have to deal with them. Right. right? But they never come back into the story. You don't want to introduce elements. And and the reason this matters, not just from like a structural, you know, screenwriter nerd standpoint, but like just as a viewer, like even people who who don't study film structure, they pick up on things you introduced and you didn't pay off on. Because when the when the movie, when it goes to black and there's a directed by blah, blah, you're like, you start to think about the stuff that you that weren't that wasn't resolved. And you're like, oh, what? Wait, you just and you don't know why, but you're like I, I get I don't know how I feel about this. Like people, or, or somebody will mention something like you know the internal the affairs, mom? and, and yeah. you're like, oh yeah, I oh about yeah, his mom dementia. I feel like I have dementia now. I can't remember. You know, I <laughs> right. forgot she existed. You know. Um, exactly. Yeah, man. And, and that's the problem. So that's two examples, right? I mean, they're yeah. back. Those scenes are back to back, hmm. and and neither one of them. Fact, factor into the story in any way. Did they this have simply wide exist. distribution? Did this have wide release? Yeah, it did. Oh. But they 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 legit don't factor into the story at all. All they do is exist to tell us about our character. Huh. But let's examine just for a second. I mean, I know I'm, I'm getting into the weeds on this, but for just for a second, what do they tell us about the character? The IA scene tells us that he is dedicated to his job. That's he has this big monologue that he gives to IA and he's like, he's like, I do what's right. I do. I stand behind this badge. I do my job because that's what they want me to do. And I, I'm a cop through and through and I love my job and my dad died in the line of duty and I will do what I have to do to protect this city. And but uh, he has this big monologue, right? Okay. So it tells us that he takes his job seriously. Scene number two, what does it tell us? He cares for his mother. That's it. Like, okay, so he takes his job seriously and he cares for his mom. Yeah, it, pretty much everybody does that in the world. So I don't understand. Don't understand how that makes him unique or how it makes me relate to him. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't I, – I really just don't understand how those two elements were like immediately set up and immediately forgotten. Um, and – and I think what happens is, is because the, the the film becomes too enamored with its own twists and turns, which John and I saw coming a mile away. So so it's like it's like they wanted to do something, but they didn't want to actually do the work of letting you know anything about the character that matters. Mm. Right. Like here, here's what would have here's what would have been impressive. Scene one, he goes in, he's with the IA, he gives this moving speech about how he's dedicated to his job and he'll always do what's right. 
then instead of he goes home to his mom, right? Uh, maybe he still does. It doesn't matter. The point is he goes home and then we learn in some other scene that he's actually kind of shady and he actually isn't that dedicated yeah, to his job. He deserves to be investigated. Exactly. And so now all of a sudden we're intrigued by the character, not just like, oh, well, I guess he's perfect. You, right? you you go from wanting to like him or you go from liking him to wanting to like to looking for reasons to keep liking him. And you right. want you want to feel this sense of like, oh, man, I liked this guy. Like He seems like a good guy. What's he doing? Not straight to like, oh, what a piece of shit. He's like double dealing. Mm-hmm. You want to be like, oh, you know, and better. So, so you have you have you have two stories here. You have the A story with Chadwick Boseman uh, trying to catch the, the criminals. Your B story. It's almost like two parallel narratives. You've got, you know, Chadwick Boseman story and you have the story about. Stephen James and Taylor Kitsch, what they're doing, what what these criminals are up to. And then eventually, you know, those two stories are going to intersect, right? And so you have the A story, you have your B story. What you really needed was a C story where IA is investigating them. And then you see IA go and interview his mother. You see IA like, you know, talking to her. And then she says something that maybe makes them think he's not quite as squeaky clean as he pretends to be, you know, whatever. And, and then you intersect all of those stories, right? And then all of a sudden it comes to this climax at the end where you have your, your criminals, your cops and IA all at one junction, right? And that, that's what you want, but you don't have it here. And so, so what you end up with is actually kind of a lazy story. I, and, and I'm not really going to, going to say Chadwick Boseman is a bad actor. I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go there. What I will say is Chadwick Boseman was given nothing to work with Mm, here. There is no depth. Uh, It's as if like he says to the directors or to the director, um, Hey, Hey guys. uh, So I I'm, I'm playing this cop. Tell me about him. And they say, he's a cop. Yeah. (laughs) And so Chadwick goes, okay, that's how I'll play him. He's a cop. (laughs) Right. Like that's it. Um, and, and it's so, so just like shallow. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know. Again, I'm just like brainstorming, but like, what if one of the criminals has a mother with dementia or cares for, for his mother in some way? And then, Oh, I can relate to that. Right. Like it doesn't even matter. All that matters is if you introduce something, it needs to mean something. Yeah. It can't just be there. You you can't have characters or whole scenes that simply exist to tell us about a character, but it doesn't even tell us anything interesting. The best movies to me are the ones you can watch over and over again. So, I mean, whatever. You failed this one on the front end. People go, oh, it was okay. I mean, a bunch of, bunch of element, bunch of things that were in there that were – but then, you know – if you if, if whenever someone says I would it was good but I wouldn't watch it again, mm. that tells me like okay you watched a film like I don't know there's there's a, there's a number of films that are they're perfectly great films but they don't have a lot of rewatch value yeah. and and some of them are structured so that you're supposed to only really see it once and have the one pure experience but that's a minority of niche films and to me most films are I should be able to watch this at least a few more times and get more out of it the very yeah. best films you can watch an infinite number of times yeah so if your story doesn't even work on the first pass there's not even there's not even enough there to pull someone back to see it again a second time and because yeah. you're gonna have entire scenes that they know for a fact now are completely useless useless 
Yeah, exactly. And so, and so, you know, here, here we are talking about like all the, all the film's flaws. Um, so, and, and you guys out there listening are probably like, well, why did you give it three stars? Right? Like this sounds way less mm-hmm. than that. Here's why. I, I give it three stars. It's fine. Although I did say just barely because it, all of that is, is inoffensive only because this film is inconsequential. I will forget this movie in six months. I won't remember the finer point. I, like I won't remember the details. I won't remember the good things. I won't remember the bad things. I won't remember how it ends. I won't remember this movie in six months. All I'll remember is that, eh, whatever. And and so to me, like it that makes it inoffensive. It, it's it's another thing if the film is like touted as something important, or if you know it, it has like. I don't know, this air of pretension about it, but this, this just feels like a TV episode, like a failed pilot for a show that didn't quite work. And so it doesn't live on. It's just inconsequential. It doesn't matter. So this film probably could have done a whole lot of really dumb, stupid stuff. And at the end of the day, I would just say, "Ah, okay, fine, whatever. And, and it's such a weird, uh, like, two sides of, of the same coin. But, but what, what ends up happening is like, if a movie's really good, it's memorable. If a movie's really bad, it's memorable. This movie's neither really good nor really bad. And so it's forgettable and it doesn't even matter. Right. Right. And so I'm giving it three stars because that's dead, you know, smack dab in the middle. Like it it doesn't get any more unimportant than this movie. Um, at least films that like are not great, like they made choices that they hoped would pay off and tip it the tip the scales the other way. The movies that are in there are three stars are in the middle, the ones that are just forgettable. It's like you think that, you know, I say three stars and it's like, oh, it must have been fine. It's like, yeah, it's fine, but but I don't want to watch a movie that's fine. I want to watch a four and five star movie, you know, and right. I don't want to watch two or one stars, but like, <clears throat> at least there's more there to talk about or, you know, just, you can't even talk about three star movie a lot of the times because it's just so bland that you just go, I don't even. <sighs> and, and it's a sliding scale because there are times when we refer to a three star movie and say, man, eh, it's pretty good. Right. And then there are times we refer to a three star movie and go, yeah, whatever. Doesn't matter. Right. Right. And so it is a sliding scale. A, a, a three has a lot of wiggle room within it. Right. It, yeah. It is the largest of the, of the, of our categories for yeah, sure. It covers a lot of, a lot it of It does, but it's um, more because of it, it, but more because of its distance from two or four. Yeah, exactly. You know? Um, yeah. Think of it like, like if you're looking at like a ruler and you're seeing five notches, um, five inches, the, the, the third inch is going to be like huge. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, four and five are like shoved into basically one inch. They each, right. you know, they each get a half inch and one and two each get a half inch and like three has the bulk of the whole ruler. Yeah. That's exactly what we're dealing with here. And this is barely a three. This is like, like it could have been offensive, but whatever it's not, it doesn't matter. The movie's forgettable, whatever. Um, again, uh, I, I won't see the movie again. I wouldn't recommend you see this in theaters. I, I would only say rent this at Redbox if you really care about seeing Chadwick Boseman or uh, or are interested in what the Russos are up to. But I'll let you in on a little secret. I have a feeling the Russos didn't do a whole lot here. No. Um, they put their so, names I mean, on it. Like, they put Black Panther in it. 
you know, mm-hmm. and they get that, that was the best that they were going to do with it. Yeah, exactly. There, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten producers listed. Uh, there, they didn't have a lot that to do isn't here. Isn't good. Yeah, but but the weird thing is, like Chadwick Boseman is a producer here, so you think he'd have a little pull, but <sighs> he absolutely doesn't. Um, or or at least if he that's, does, that's just he, him getting more money in his contract. Yeah, exactly. I have a feeling that's just a writer. Like, yeah, I want a producer credit mm, too. I want to, yeah, I want to produce sure, credit. Whatever you need, Mr. Yep. Bozeman. Yep, exactly. Um, yeah, you were in Black Panther. You, yeah. We'll give you whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, look, at the end of the day, if you're a big Chadwick Bozeman fan, fine. It, it It's not going to kill you to watch the movie. But at the end of the day, <laughs> no God. one's going to be talking. <laughs> no, no one's going to be talking about this a year from now. Like no one's going to say, or even, you know, he gets a, a lifetime achievement award one day. This isn't going to be in the montage. No, it's just not. And, and, you know, it, that's fine. Every actor tends to have one of these kind of movies. It's like, I played a cop once. Yeah. Cool. I mean, and it's okay for him because for him, it's just like, well, I need to, uh, you know, I mean, that guy went from playing Jackie Robinson to playing James Brown to playing, you know, a comic book character, a pretty important comic book character. So for him, it's mm-hmm. like, okay, I got to do something. I'm, I'm bound to mess something up. What's the next? 21 Bridges. Okay, this sounds unimportant. I'm going to go ahead and make this that thing. Exactly. It's almost like he knew he had to like, he had to shoot himself in the knee at one point just so he could keep succeeding later. Sure. <laughs> just like, That'd- I'm bound to mess up. And I'd rather be on a low profile project than... You know, like a, a, a like a, a a biopic about Barack Obama or something. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. I need it to be. Which I, I will say here now. That's probably going to happen. Is Chadwick Boseman? He's going to play Barack Obama. Probably. Yeah. But yeah, man. Yeah, it, it's it, it's totally forgettable. So if you decide to go see it, despite my warnings, um, just know that. Uh, just, just know that you're only – just pay attention to Chadwick Boseman, I guess. I don't know. There's really nothing else to latch on to here. And and again, it's not that he does a stellar job because mm-hmm. he's not given anything to do anyway. It's just eh, this is this is a performance by Chadwick Boseman, so I'll watch it. Like that. that's it. And that's all anybody wanted out of this, I guess. So, eh, whatever. Yeah, this one – this is at number 16 right now in the box office. So it's made 27 million, uh, five weeks. Yeah. It's been a while since we looked at the box office, by the way, I'm, I'm looking at it now and I'm, I'm just sort of just checking everything out. And this was in the new, I'm sorry. Did you want to say more about 21 bridges? No, that's it. Okay. Um, so 21, um, so other than that, there's, um, uh, um, so, you know, Charlie's Angels had a bad opening. Charlie's Angels right now is sitting at number thirty-eight. Mm. Um, it's made. It's not even made eighteen million dollars in six weeks. Um. Uh. So there's that. <laughs> um. And then we have another notoriously horrible opening. Is Cats? Cats debuted at number uh, four, and mm-hmm. it debuted at number four. Um. You know, making six million dollars, six point six million dollars, you know, on thirty three hundred, thirty four hundred screens, you know, debut behind the fifth week of Frozen 2, 
you know, the second week of Jumanji and of course Star Wars, you know, now it, 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 it didn't really have a chance cause it's opening against star, you know, the, the, the ninth star Wars film. Um, but like, I've just heard horrible things about cats. <laughs> yeah. I've kind of fallen down the, the rabbit hole, so to speak on just like reading all of the scathing reviews of this thing. <laughs> it's yeah, so the, great. The, one, one of the, one of the, um, one of the headlines I saw, and this is, I, I saw it more than once and, um, it's mentioned in a bunch of reviews. A lot of people are calling cats the horniest movie. I like, you know, of blah, 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 like whatever it is, but people be like, this is the horniest movie they've ever seen. This is the horniest film ever made. (laughs) And like one review is just like the cats are just so damn horny all the time. And and it's because, because you see it in the trailer a little bit of that. They just kind of go like, "Mm," just kind of writhing around as they like trot down the street. Like (laughs) they're just like Jones and, for something. Yep, yep. Um, but I think when all, we all saw that trailer and again, whatever you could, trailers are, can be deceiving, but you see a trailer and you just go, boy, this just looks, I don't know what this looks mm-hmm. like, but it doesn't look like something I want to see. <laughs> right. And I would extend the, um, Chadwick Boseman metaphor to Tom Hooper as well. Like this mm-hmm. is the guy who directed the King's speech and Les Miserables and the Danish girl. These are movies I, I, I love. And it's like, he's going to direct cats. Oh, yeah. okay. Like you're going to do another musical and right. it's going to be done like this. And, and well, it's going to have all these people and like, Oh, okay. So the two big red flags right off the bat were Rebel Wilson and James Corden. Okay, cool. That's okay. Red flag. Taylor Swift. Okay. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. what's, what's the, and then it's just you, all the CG, even the CG they backed off on was like, Oh, okay. Uh, this is weird. And then of course, you know, just the early reviews and, and sadly I, I wasn't going to see cats and the, the most recent review I read of it would, they were like, they pretty much said like, yeah, cats, like this was inevitable because it, it was extremely popular Broadway show, but even mm-hmm. like critics and audiences, like wouldn't like cats doesn't make anyone's top, top lists of Broadway musicals. But for some reason it has a successful and reliable run on Broadway all the time. So it's just like, mm-hmm. so no one likes it, but everyone goes to see it. And is that what universal is hoping for? Did they hope they're like, Hey, no one likes this, but they're going to pay money for it. Cause that's all they've done for like 30 years. Right. Welp. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, dude. Big miscalculation. Yeah. It's like this entire movie is just a miscalculation. And yeah. did you hear somebody so called the, it that? This somebody, I think it was Chris Duckman said this was this is one of the biggest miscalculations I've ever seen. Yeah, dude. Yeah. It's so bad. So so I don't I don't know if you if you saw this article uh, or this headline, which was that um the film is being essentially patched the way that a video game is patched. So so the the movie has been released, yeah, and people have seen it. For some reason, the studio is putting out a new version with updated visual effects, which is being shipped out, I guess now or soon, to to theaters worldwide. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they've they're issuing a new version of the film while the film is still in its initial release. <sighs> Because the film was released before the effects were completed. Uh, A, why release a movie if it's not ready? B, 
if you set the release date and the director cannot make the release date, you should know that well in advance and postpone the release date. If not, then your director is terrible. <laughs> Thirdly, if the movie's out there, like updated visual effects, it's not going to help. Nobody's no. like, like it's not like everybody's saying, man, there's such a good movie here. It's just the, the visual effects get in the way. That's not what people are saying. They're saying this is a, uh, an awful egregious film on every level possible. Yeah. I, this is one of those times where I really wish, I wish it was mandatory that I wish there was a, like a threshold. We can agree on it somewhere in, in the weeds of, uh, of this contract here. Mm. I want there to be a law. <laughs> mm-hmm. I want a law that says, um, if, uh, if, if this such and such percent is your opening day gross, mm-hmm. essentially if it's, if it's within this percentage of bad, um, mm-hmm. you are required to make, to, to, to produce and release a, a making of documentary about why this film sucks so bad. Like one of the better documentaries I've seen is, or, you know, a a fun documentary to watch is the, is, um, uh, man or whatever the, the, I forgot what it's called now, but the, the, whoever made the documentary about the Terry Gilliam, like Don Quixote movie in the Mm -hmm. early two thousands and like why that movie ended up getting canceled, just all the horrible shit that happened there, like Mm -hmm. one after the other. And they just had to cancel the movie and, cash out the insurance and the studio lost a shitload of money and mm-hmm. whatever. Or, and, and, you know, I've heard like hearts of darkness is good. The one about apocalypse now. Um, mm-hmm. I've never seen it, but I, 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 those are documentaries that I particularly like are here's a, here's something that went horribly wrong. <laughs> here's what mm-hmm. So the whole time you're just watching like a train, I bet Kellen would, Kellen wouldn't be able to stand it, but like, right. but you know, just to, to watch something like that. And I, yeah. I wish it was required, like, because now I'm sitting here thinking, oh, it failed. And now I get to see why exactly. Mm-hmm. I get to see what the director thought, you know, like all those behind the scenes shots of Ryan Johnson during The Last Jedi, like the clip of him being like, um, uh, and none of this tracks, none of this makes yeah. any sense. Yeah. Like, where are those clips of Tom Hooper, like uh, 10 days out? Like, what do you mean the effects aren't finished? Like, yeah, yeah. It, it cra- they crashed well, well, every day for three months. Did it crash again? You know, exactly. are you not editing? No, you're, you're not even editing on proxy files. No wonder it crashed. You know, you're, you're just like, I, I want to see, I want to see what happened. I just wish I could. And I hope that when mm-hmm. I'm dead, this is one of the things you get to do when you're a ghost is you get to just go find out exactly what happened mm-hmm. with things like, Oh, yep. what, what do you want to do? I want to see who killed JFK. Great. What else do you want to see? I want to see when the universe was, when it was created. Great. What else do you want to see? I want to see what happened with cats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's third on my list. I want to yeah. see what happened with, you know, JFK, the universe, and then cats. Yeah. What happened? Was it the CG? Yeah, was uh who, who messed up? Like what had, did, did, was someone did sabotage? Was it just that bad? Yep. I have no idea, dude. It's it, crazy. It, I mean, it's this is so a major crazy. studio. This doesn't even crack $10 million. I know. Makes no sense. Oh, that's that. How much is that? That's, that's, it's embarrassing. Yeah. Even the ones below it, like they're making, you know, Knives Out is in fifth place. It's on its fourth weekend and it's still pulled in 
okay, just below that. But Knives Out is a lower budget, probably, Mm -hmm. than Cats. And it still made more money per theater than it was in. It's in almost a thousand less theaters, and it still made $2,500 per theater over the weekend. Cats debuted under $2,000 per 3,300 theaters. Yeah. Universal Pictures. Universal Pictures. Despicable Me. Jurassic yeah. Park. <laughs> yep. Back to the this future. Is crazy. <laughs> Man. Yeah, that makes no sense. And, <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. Um, okay. You know what else is insane? This is probably our last show of 2019. That is crazy. Yeah. So we'll be back next week, I guess, after the new year. Um, and uh, we'll talk about something. I saw Togo. Uh, so okay. I don't know if you are going to see, I hope I'll have seen it by then. Yeah. Yeah. Watch it. Uh, well, maybe you shouldn't, I was going to say, watch it. I was going to say, watch it with your dog, but <laughs> think you, got, <laughs> right. think you got enough problems with dogs and movies. Right, right, right. Um, I think you'll, I'll, I'll, I'll say this doesn't, I think you'll get something out of it that I didn't get out of it as a pet owner, specifically as like a, a dog owner. Sure. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll get something out of, you know, out of this movie that I just won't get. So sure. Sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, cool. Well, yeah, let's, I guess we'll say that here's to another new year. Um, and, uh, and here's to another January and (laughs) here's, here's, um, here's to another year of not talking about the Oscars. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yep. I'm off for that. Yeah, me too. Me too. I'm just too, I'm, 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 I'm too busy and I got too much dignity. Yeah. I used to not have any dignity and then I, I found some in one of my, my suits. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, oh, look, a, dig, a, a dignity. Yep. <laughs> I'm going to keep this. Yep. So, yep. All right. Uh, yeah, that's going to be it. Sweet. Woo. Goodbye. 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 Oh, oh, what is it? Is that not working? Oh, now, of course, there's no latency at all. Ah, (laughs) ah, ah. It was better. It was better earlier, later. What? Oh, this is still. There it is. Okay, cool. Okay. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. (laughs) Bye.